football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson discussing all things Week 12 in the NFL. But first, don't forget that all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight to put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. And this is the time that you want that PFF Edge annual subscription. Great content, a draft guide that comes out. You get the one-year of access for all of that stuff it's $40 of value for just $20 and you get the opportunity to turn that 20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at monkey knife fight one of the fastest growing sports sites in the country so go to monkey knife fight you deposit your 20 bucks you use the promo code pff and you receive your pff edge annual subscription it's pretty easy sam steven you ready to go yeah 12 how was your Thanksgiving? It was good. We got right. a, uh, I didn't get a full turducken, because, like, you know, there's three of us and those things are massive, right? But we got a turducken roll. You went turducken. Yeah. I, you know, an ode to John Madden. It's been a while. I, that is great. How nostalgia with the uh, the Joe Montana things in the offseason. There'd always be six legs sticking out of that thing. Right? Yeah, no, I didn't have the multi-legged thing. It was like a crown or whatever they call it, like the rolled yeah. thing. It was nice. Did it go, go good then? Hmm? It went well? Yeah, it was good. Excellent. You? It was good, you know, just it was a huge party, just the six of us, <laughs> all the Palazzolo family. It's amazing how much effort you have to put into cooking for really two people and a, four little humans. And yeah. Then, you know, anyway, let's was get also, into it. It was also bad football for the most part. There was some ugly football. 40 points put up by the Houston Texans and the Washington football team. Let's start Texans and Lions. <laughs> uh, we this game felt like, you know, the week before where Detroit couldn't put up a point against uh, a bad Carolina team. And I was like, wow, that that probably should have got people booted out of the building. And then it was like, no, 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 we'll stay the course. We'll have some we'll have some patience. And then this week was like, no, no, we weren't kidding. Like, we're really this bad. <laughs> that's that's basically what this game was. It was like a reminder that, no, no, the, the stuff you saw the week before against Carolina we weren't messing around. Like, this is how bad this team is. You should probably get get rid of everybody. Oh, man. Yeah, Detroit, one of the bigger disappointments of the season. Matt Patricia has officially been fired, as has Bob Quinn. Mm-hmm. So it's a complete overhaul there. I had a hashtag for what we we're going to do in Detroit. Oh, yeah? I had it yesterday. Let me see if it comes back to me at okay. some point during the show. This, the, I mean, we talked before, like, what do you want to see from the Lions this season? And it was like, can you show me? growth development something getting better (laughs) and if anything they were heading in the other direction like things were getting worse this defense whatever they were trying to build there was just no evidence that was working at all at any point um so sadly this i think was the inevitable conclusion now you have an interesting spot where there's actually a reasonable amount of talent there 
but it, it's been designed for a system that not many people run and you have to see what you can make out of it. And then really, I, honestly, the only like takeaway from Thanksgiving football for me was Deshaun Watson is playing the best football of his career, looking incredible. I was going to say looking as good as any quarterback in the NFL, but then Mahomes went Mahomes last night, so that's not quite true anymore. But, you know, genuinely looking like he's gotten better without his best receiver this season. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been covering this Watson story the whole year, just saying, okay, he's playing a little better, he's playing a little better. He hasn't had that disastrous game, and if anything, now he's the last two weeks he's been outstanding against New England two weeks ago and then against the Lions. Uh, good decision-making, spreading the ball around. I, I just like the way this offense has has developed, too, because we came into the season saying, okay, it's it's intriguing with all their speed. You know me, I'm blinded by speed they did just release Kenny Stills um, who you know wasn't really a part of this offense when you had Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks out there but uh, you know throwing to Will Fuller they had thir- you know 11 catches between the two of them 171 for Fuller and the two scores one was a ridiculous coverage bust mm-hmm. at the end that was just the you know icing on the cake Brandon Cooks caught all five targets for 85 yards Kiki Cutie love when he gets involved and, and Duke Johnson man the guy makes plays as well including including a deep ball against Jamie Collins. So um, I, I think the thing about the line, so from a Houston standpoint, they're, they're a tough out the rest of the way here. With Watson playing like this, the defense is still not great, but you get a pick six by J.J. Watt. That was old school J.J., right? I love when defensive ends are so athletic, they don't just bat the pass, they pick it off. If you count batted passes as pass breakups, which is a little bit of a sketchy thing to do, but let's do it for fun. Um, J.J. Watt leads the Texans in combined pass breakups this season as a defensive lineman. And he's pretty close to doing it in the last two weeks. Like he had four batted passes last week and then the, like, the interception this week. Like just in two weeks, he basically leads the team in terms of pass breakups. Here's the thing about if you – let's talk to Texans fans and then Lions fans for a minute here. If you're a Texans fan – our guy Eric Eager has done some stuff about just, you know, it's tough to predict defense. It's tough to predict defensive performance year to year. One of the things he had studied, though, is if you just change your defense, you have a you have a chance, believe it or not, you have a chance of just improving. So if you just go from, like what you're saying about the Lions, oh, they play this Patricia scheme and it's cover one and it's, you know, the Belichick tree and all that stuff. Next year, they're going to get some, like, zone-heavy cover two guy in there, like Eberflus from Indianapolis or whatever, and all of a sudden, you could just improve just from the change. I think both teams, the Texans and the Lions, could benefit from that. The Texans especially might spend this entire offseason completely overhauling the defense, whole new system. The offense is looking good from a pass-blocking offensive line. Watson, the playmakers, if they get Fuller back in there. So, um, lots of like, I think, with from a Houston standpoint. From Detroit standpoint, are we talking complete overhaul here? Like a year from now, does this Lions team look completely different? All of the receivers are free agents. Matthew Stafford has a nineteen million dollar dead, nineteen million dollars of dead money. He's uh, for twenty twenty one, if you were to release him. But does he become a trade candidate? Is it is a complete overhaul in Detroit, or does he become a one year bridge quarterback? Right. And then they're looking for their next guy. He's going to be 33 next year. I think it should be a complete rebuild. I mean, they, they're they going to have a shot at picking high in the draft, relatively high in the draft again. They should be targeting a quarterback, I think, and say, all right, we might be tied to Stafford for another year. But 
again, like this guy is a coach killer. This is what I've been saying for a while. Like, is he, do you think that there's any realistic chance that you're going to finally get that one amazing year from Matthew Stafford that everybody is chasing? Or is he just going to continue to be Matthew Stafford and show you flashes of this amazing talent in brief bursts, but never long enough to actually do you any good and just string you along and ultimately get you fired when you don't find the answer to the magic potential? Or do you just say, all right, to hell with this. Everyone else has given it a shot. It hasn't worked, so I'm going to try with another quarterback. Yeah, I think coach killer is a little extreme for Stafford. If you had... I mean, he's a high-end coach killer, but that's almost worse. Like, the fact that you can you be had, reasonable with him and then never materializes is better than that. I, I think the team-building effort in Detroit, though, the, the issue with the team-building effort started with their very first draft, where we talked about it over and over again. It felt like they were drafting for 1985. They were getting running backs and run-blocking offensive linemen and run-stop, not just drafting, but just their entire team-building effort. Right. Run-stopping interior defensive linemen. And then somehow they did stumble into a trio of Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and Danny Amendola and, and, and adding TJ Hawkinson at tight end. And just that, the trio plus the tight end at, in Hawkinson led to some really good stuff in 2019. Those guys were banged up here in 2020. So for a team that built a run-first attack, they ended up with kind of a modern, at least a modern-day modern personnel offensively that could have worked out well, but it, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't this year because of various reasons. It also doesn't help that, like, you know, you're there because you're a defensive mastermind, and this year more than any other year, defense is just irrelevant. Like, the league is being set on fire by offenses this year. So if, you're, if your calling card was defense, you're going to look bad this season because everybody does like nobody nobody's defense is out there like shutting everything down looking amazing pittsburgh maybe i guess you could argue um and even they have been exploited at times so like if your thing is defense you're just uh, i mean you're in you're in trouble all right let's go to the other game washington and dallas uh it was not as it was a lot closer than 41 to 16 would suggest right i mean it's a close game fourth quarter and it comes down to mike mccarthy's fake punt yeah that is uh you know was the buzz of thanksgiving nap time what it, so he defended that after the game right and was like that was a good call i agree with him to the point that look you can't judge these things by outcome necessarily you know like if you just go it's a good call if we make it it's a bad call if we don't that's bad process right on the other hand like can you see from looking at the play can you see a way in which that was a good call no, because... No, and I don't mean the, the fake generally. I mean that fake. No, that fake. The thing about a fake, he's saying it's a good call based off when we see this look, right? we have this answer. And I'm, I'm all for that when it comes to... like There should probably be more fake punts out there because yeah. there's probably more looks that are just favorable to the offense. You just have to trust your punter generally to like make a throw. Particularly when you have to pick up like a couple. Right. You know? But this was not only deep in your territory. Eh, I don't care that much. It was fourth and 10? Yeah, I think so. So it's 4th and 10. Getting 10 yards on a fake punt is difficult. It's just the slow developing nature of the play. Yes. That's, that would be the problem. The point of a fake punt is the trickeration and you're catching somebody in a bad look and they don't have a chance to recover. When you go with 14 reverses and fakes and everything, that's a little too slow developing. That would be the, that'd be the issue there, Sam. Yeah, didn't love it. Didn't, didn't agree that it was the good call in isolation that went bad. It seemed just bad so wft jumped into first place for uh, the weekend yeah and uh 
the Giants ended up taking their spot. But you know, we talked about the the defensive line. Those are the two teams, by the way, in like pole position for the division now to win it five wins. Yeah. I mean, we're 12 weeks in, and I still don't want to buy into that. I still can't buy into the fact that— I'm telling you, a team is winning Washington that division with five wins. Washington and the Giants Which, are, by the way, the means that there. technically the Rams still lead that division with tiebreakers after 12 weeks. Well, the Rams are a dominant <clears throat> NFC East team. Mm -hmm. uh, really nice job by the Washington defensive line. Montez Sweat had a huge game. Jonathan Allen, Chase Young. I mean, that is— Pick six for Sweat, right? Yeah, I mean, that that's their— yeah, that's their calling card there, is is this defensive line can can make an impact. And say what you want about Alex Smith, he didn't have to do a whole lot, but that's, you know, solid. Just move the ball. Washington have a shot at six wins. Like, they're going to – their next three games, Pittsburgh loss, 49ers probable loss, Seahawks loss, then Panthers, we got a shot at a win there, and then finishing up with the Eagles in week 17. So they can get two wins. Man, you're like um, the NFC expert. I'm just back I'm when endlessly fascinated by this by this division. It's it's the best thing in the NFL this year. Back when Barry Bonds was chasing the home run record, mm -hmm. they they assigned Pedro Gomez to be like the Barry Bonds reporter. Right, that's what he did. He only reported on Barry Bonds. Followed him everywhere. Just reported yeah. on Bonds. I'm the NFC's permutation you guy. You could be the guy. You yeah. could be the NFC's I'm in. permutation guy. You could be just just the overall reporter well i'm fascinated by both one how bad can it get like what's the worst possible scenario that can win the division and two how many teams are going to be tied for the division lead of four and oh before somebody in the nfc east actually wins it yeah man what a fascinating <laughs> division this year so good job by washington we'll talk about the giants in a little bit let's get to yesterday's action going out of order talk about some of the big games Let's start with the Chiefs and the Bucks, man. This game, I mean, it felt like the Chiefs had 60 points yeah. at one point. They were unstoppable on offense. Well, they scored 17 in the first quarter and 27 total. They did. And look, it, the only thing that kind of slowed down their offense was I think late third, you know, in the third quarter, they started to slow themselves down just a little bit. This, this is one of those things where... I don't know, man. Like, if you play a Madden player and he's fi he finds a glitch in the game and he just attacks it and he puts up 400 receiving yards and it's like, dude, come on. You're just – it's a glitch in the game. You're not good. It's the game's fault. Mm. It's what it feels like when Mahomes and Tyreek are, you know, hot and playing like this and one-on-one -on -one all the time. Yeah. The, this is a couple of uh, – not even a couple. This is a few times this season where the Bucks have rolled in there with a bad game plan and been attacked mercilessly for it. Um, like, just hanging – and who is it? Benjamin Solak, who I think is going to be on this show at some point in the near future. Um, is he? I believe so. We're getting Benjamin on the show? I think so. Anyway, he tweeted something like, guys, I promise you Carlton Davis has been good this season. Like, this is just, he's just being hung out to dry. And he was. Like, they were just putting this guy one-on-one -on -one with Tyreek Hill in hideous situations. And you're like, I, I don't know what to tell you. That's just not a winnable scenario for him. That's a bad matchup. And it really was. And there were periods of that game where, I, I, we talked about this before coming on. Like, when Mahomes starts to scramble, right, there's a sort of set pattern that receivers run in the scramble drill, the like the adjustment, right? And one of them is a guy, wherever he's going, will sort of work his way to the quarterback and then sharply go deep, right? Just turn and pivot and start running downfield, and it's a wide-open deep shot for Mahomes. And Carlton Davis was, like, lining – was basically keeping – um, Tyreek Hill, like 10 yards in front of him, 
because he didn't want to be the guy that in that moment suddenly Tyreek Hill turns upfield runs past him and has another 70-yard touchdown to his name and you're watching this you're like I don't even know that that's the wrong decision like you're giving him a free 10-yard completion on a pretty critical down and yet it probably is better than being the guy on the low light reel that lets him like a turn up field and just another Mahomes to Tyreek Hill completion. It was just absurd. And to their credit, at least this time they did adjust and change some things, at least for a period, and then seemed to revert back towards the end of the game. That's the thing. Like you, early on, it's a lot of man coverage, and Tyreek is absolutely torching Carlton Davis. But over the course of this game, where Tyreek. <laughs> Romo and those guys were, you know, he's on pace for a thousand yards joking around. He ends up with 13 catches for 269. Uh, first guy, only guy in history since uh, it's him and Jerry Rice. The only guys to have at least 13 catches in average. I forget what they used as a cutoff. I, mean, I think it was over 20 per catch. So Jerry Rice one time in 95. Yeah. And then Tyree. Again, 13 like, catches for 269. That's insane. But again, he had like 200 yards in the first quarter. He did. <laughs> and then you started to put. But it wasn't all just one-on-one. Then they start hitting some cover two shots to Tyreek Hill. Like, Tampa Bay did try to adjust. They did adjust. And they, they adjusted, I think, fairly successfully until late in the game where they ran back home. But this is what makes them so dangerous. And this is why it always feels like the Chiefs, every time they call a run to Le'Veon Bell, it's like, you could also just drop back and see if Tyreek's open every single time. Because once they loosened up the defense... There was just free five and ten yard gains yeah. underneath over and over and over again. The, back in the day when Mike Tice got ridiculed for the Randy ratio, and the funny thing about it is he was right. Like you should absolutely be feeding the ball deep to Randy Moss yeah, like once going. a quarter. Just yeah. take a shot. Why not? It's getting you fifty yards a pop. Tyree Kill, if he gets a free release from the slot, it should be like an auto adjust, take a shot. Because you can't stop it. He's too fast. He can split any coverage you run, and there's no way the guy trying to cover him inside can keep pace with him. It's just free money. Why would you not take that? Um, and they, yeah, they, so they did at least adjust. This, though, was the game, right? The, everybody, this is how everybody assumes Patrick Mahomes plays all the time, right? And he doesn't really, you know what I mean? Like, he's right. capable of it, and he doesn't play that much worse than this all the time. But this was Mahomes at that transcendent level that nobody can touch like he was ridiculous in this game and you come out of it and you say you know what the scary thing is about him he doesn't make mistakes like every single game with somebody else there's at least one play in there where you're like okay yeah but you know there was this hideous thing here and if you just forget about that because it didn't really count and he wasn't punished for it we just gloss over that then you you can say yeah yeah that was that was beautiful Mahomes doesn't screw up every time he like puts the ball in harm's way it's because it was a free play. Somebody jumped offside, and you were like, why not? It's just take a shot. There's no punishment for it. Or it's like a punt. Like his third and 17 or whatever it was put the opposition in like a crappy position deep in their own territory. It was like a coffin corner punt that boxed them in. Like it was, if anything, in terms of like, I have no idea what the EPA or whatever says, but it probably wasn't a bad play. Yeah, so there was a third and long it was basically an arm punt, not just an arm punt, but like at but the a good floor one. or whatever, right? right. Like it was, so it was one of those, um, you know, good shots to take, and it ends up getting negated anyway because of uh, hands to the face or you know, roughing the pass or whatever it might have been. 
Um, he has made mistakes this year, though. Like, look, he does have but not high... many. Like, no, no, he does. And his look, mistakes are marginal. This is they're not like Trubisky. This is the story, right? Coming into this game, he had like ten or eleven turnover-worthy plays. They're not all egregious, right? There are different levels of these things, but he probably should have had four or five picks on average, given the, that performance coming into this game. But he has been better at taking care of the ball, and in general, for a guy that makes that many big plays, he's been incredible at taking care of the ball his entire career, much like Aaron Rodgers at his peak, much like the best uh, quarterbacks of all time. You have big-time throws. You avoid turnover-worthy plays. Mahomes is special in that regard. So he was on. He was awesome. The the one actual – I don't know if you want to call it a mistake, but bad play was the fumble in the pocket. He did fumble when they were up 17 to nothing, and that allowed the Bucks back into the game. So a game that felt like the Chiefs had in hand because they had a cheat code the entire time. Right. They only end up scoring 27 – and the Bucks, you know, claw their way back. What do you make of Tom Brady in this game? I thought Brady, he played his best game in a while. And then, but there's, there's still timing issues and he's still off, right? So he makes yeah. this incredible throw to Chris Godwin under pressure. The play, I think I said on the last show, like he just can't make plays under pressure. He did. I mean, he actually put it out there while getting hit, but he comes back the next play Throws also, up a jump ball. Scotty Miller against Bashad Breland is just not the, the yeah. matchup that you want there. This this was also, though, remember, like, the entire narrative. This is the danger of, like, you come out of primetime games, right? Come out of primetime games, something clearly obvious happened in the primetime game, and you're like, that's the narrative. That's what we're running with. That's the story. Interceptions? No, no, no. And last week it was Tom Brady can't read coverages anymore, right? He was fed with Bill Belichick the whole time. Belichick yeah. told him what to look for, and now on his own, he can't read when a team switches their safeties and disguises coverage on him. Look at, the, look at what happened against the Rams, right? They rotated safeties, and Brady just starts throwing the ball straight to them all game, right? And in that game, it was right, right? The Rams have done that to everybody this year. Brady had a grade of 30 again when they, when they disguised coverage pre- to post-snap um, against the Rams, right? And we said it heading into that game. The problem is... It, that's like the only game of the season that's really been a problem. The rest of the year, his grade in those situations was fourth in the NFL. And I haven't run it for the entire season yet, but it went up, right, based on this game. In this game, his grade against those disguised coverages was 92, right? And yeah, again, I don't think there was any... He had was... the most, I think, of the week, right? This was the thing. Whatever... Whatever about how he's actually performing in those situations, teams do think that's the best way of attacking him because he has by far the most of them of any quarterback in the NFL. Same thing this week, right? He's got the most dropbacks of any quarterback with disguised coverage, but this week he had a grade of 92. The only quarterback with a better grade? Mahomes? Yes. There you go. So the narrative that Brady can't read coverages, doesn't know what he's looking at. If you just change the safety post-snap, he seizes up in the pocket and it's a disaster. Bullshit. Brady can still read coverage, can still throw the ball well. He just had a bad game against the Rams, and you probably shouldn't read too much into one crappy game on primetime. But it was two crappy games on primetime because sure, of the Saints but, game before. That's I mean, his all. He is the highest graded quarterback outside of primetime. His three games <laughs> at night. I mean, that's the that is true. part of the problem. He played much better in this game. Uh, still left a few plays on the table. They. This one also, they didn't force feed the ball to Antonio Brown yes. in this one either, right? It was like, oh, Gronk, you're open up the seam. We'll hit you. They had a couple big plays to Gronk. Uh, Mike Evans did some good stuff. I think Tony Romo was kind of all over the place in this game where it felt like he needed to praise Mahomes and talk about how awesome Mahomes is, and rightfully so. And they had the fodder for that, Mahomes and Tyreek. 
with Brady, it felt like he was apologizing for a lot of. So he was trying to explain what you're what you're saying, and it, it, but it comes across as like apologizing for Brady. But his point was like, hey, he's missing on some deep passes, but it's sometimes it's him, sometimes it's the mm. receiver, and then one of Bra- the second Brady interception, he kind of he was he was a little bit too quick to throw a hot read to Mike Evans, and this is what I was saying earlier in the year. If I'm playing against Brady right now, I'm blitzing him like crazy. And it's not because he doesn't recognize it or he doesn't know what he's doing. It's a weakness in the system at the it's, moment. It's, it's the system. It, it, Romo highlighted, he's like, Mike Evans is really good at running option routes from the slot, but he has to be a hot receiver, which is right. a tight end thing. It's a Wes Welker thing. And Mike Evans is hot, and he, if he runs the route a little bit off, and it's, it just throws things off. I want Brady rushed in a new system not past rushed i just want his process sped up and i thought kansas city did that overall now the result was brady hit a couple deep balls hmm. but that was like early in the season tampa bay bucks if he hits them they could put some points on the board but you just make it a really small margin of error you know what the bucks should also be doing this is like a small point but this idea of i assume Early, there was a lot of feeding Antonio Brown because you probably don't want Antonio Brown getting pissed off at lack of targets given you just brought him into the building and what a headache he can potentially be anyway. He should be returning punts and kicks because he's good at that. And the only reason like he wasn't doing that before is because he became too valuable as a wide receiver. He's returning punts. To mess with that. He wasn't – there was one punt certainly that he wasn't returning. Like he should be the full-time punt and kick returner because it's free touches – that he can be involved in he can potentially break one yeah and you don't have to waste a target getting him like comfortable and happy and you know what i mean you don't have to force feed him stuff when you can get him involved other ways that you wouldn't normally with an elite receiver yeah i mean look it if he would just come in and bend the complimentary piece to what they already have in evans and godwin and gronk then it works out yesterday felt more like that if you're open you're open great if you're not You'll catch a couple screens, and you know when you are open, we'll hit you. Um, so I thought the Bucks' offense played a little bit better. It all landed at the same point. They scored twenty four against the Rams. They scored twenty four against the Chiefs. The Chiefs did did do a nice job making a couple stops uh, in the red zone, and their pass rush did a pretty good job. Again, you don't Brady made that really nice throw to to Chris Godwin under pressure, but you are not you are not banking on those every single week. Were you? Come out of do you come out of this game more or less encouraged by the Bucks based off what we just saw? I saw people tweeting about Romo saying, "Well, now they're the Super Bowl contender because they're." He said after out. the game, he was like, or like as it was wrapping up, he's like, "I think there's a better than average, like better than he had." Like, he basically said, "There's like a better chance of this being the Super Bowl matchup than not," which seemed wild. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's that's hyperbole that he just. You get away with on TV, Tony I guess, until people call you Tony, call you on it. Tony doesn't use hyperbole. The Bucks are seven and five right now. I think the reality is they they should have won one of the games against the, the Rams or the Bears. They should have won one of those games. If they did, well, yeah. they're sitting at eight and four. Brady doesn't forget how many downs are in a game. I'm just I'm saying from their perspective, they would they 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 probably feel like they should be sitting at eight and four at least, right? And their last four games, they have two against the Falcons, one Vikings game, and the Lions. There's a pretty good chance they're at least ten and six. They're very, very good chance they're sitting at eleven and five, making a playoff run. You were talking off air about they just need to click in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't think that this is a team that needs home field advantage or seating or whatever it is. I think they just need to have worked their crap out by the time they hit the playoffs, 
and they're good enough to beat anybody. Particularly, you know, it's not like Brady doesn't know how to win on the road in the postseason. You know, like Brady can win wherever. They, this team just needs to have answers. Right? They need to they need to hit the postseason. And if a team rolls in there and blitzes the crap out of them, they're not on different pages again when it comes to hot routes. Right? All these kinds of things. If the Saints roll in there and they do what they did to them last time, they have answers. They have intermediate routes. They have something in the system. Right? They just need to have spent this season essentially identifying their own weak points, right? Self-scouting, figuring out where the holes are and patching them over so what, that when they get to the, the playoffs and they run into the best teams that can, can throw a game plan at them, they have some answers. I, I just don't know that Bruce Arians and his system, I don't know if they're that great at adjusting to all that stuff. I mean, they've definitely adjusted the system a little bit to Brady this year. I just don't know if they're fully equipped there and again Romo was highlighting all this too they're not using motion it's it's a static look or they'll use a little bit of motion but not like the type that's actually giving you tells on the defense it feels like that's the type of stuff that does need to be incorporated a little bit more Um, also it's it's this weird like when you get into the red zone right when you went to win in the red zone you either need dudes that are going to win or you got to scheme it up right like when you watch Aaron Rodgers last night in the red zone with the Packers Matt LaFleur is scheming it up in the red zone there are, not to take anything away from Rodgers, but how many easy, wide-open two- and three-yard touchdowns has he had this year? He's had a ton schemed up. The Bucks scheme it up by, like, rolling Brady out and trying to hit Leonard Fournette in the flat. Like, that's not going to cut it. But they've got the dudes, right? Mike Evans wins. Gronk wins. There's something that's lacking compared to some of those other offenses, I think. What are you saying about Lenny? Man. Hey, Ronald Jones did a nice job out of the backfield. He took that. I mean, he's talented. His problem is he just can't catch the ball. Like, if you get it in his hands and right. it if sticks. He if he doesn't look clunky, he's got some speed. And he, well, he that was that was a legit play there. Um, Chiefs still the best team in the NFL. <laughs> so why are you trying to get me in trouble with Steelers fans? Uh, they're not listening to this part of the show anyway. Oh, then yeah, sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I think statement game. Mahomes the MVP? Yeah. I mean, he was like, he his best week for MVP happened when he didn't play. Like, everybody else got worse, you yeah. know, everyone else's case. I do think that R- Russell Wilson, I think, is his competition. Like, he's about to go on this run of four games against, you know, the NFC East and the Jets. Like, he's going to look amazing. He timed his crappy games for, like, the right period, you know, middle of the season where nobody's paying attention. He His candidacy will be hard to uh, beat. But if Mahomes plays like this for any extended period of time, it's not a question. Yeah, like, Rodgers had the four touchdowns and good stats and everything, but Mahomes just... Like you said, transcendent Mahomes yesterday and, and in a big game against a, a Bucks team that is yeah. is still pretty good. So good job. Good job, Chiefs. Let's get to some of the other stuff. AFC South, it's pretty difficult now. Hashtag. Uh, Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. catchy. Look, I, I I nailed a couple predictions this week. Yeah? I think. I think I took Tennessee, right? Um, it was a long time ago. But I said it's Tennessee's dudes against uh, – I keep using that term. Tennessee's got the high-end talent. How's that offensively? Okay. Uh, against Indianapolis, better just all-around team. And it was another, you know, Derrick Henry game, A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown taking dig routes to the house. Yeah. That's what Julio used to do that on the regular. And I mean on the regular, like, you know, once every two seasons. You see that? That's that's fairly regular. To take a 15 to 20-yard pass and turn it into 70 consistently. Brown's done that a few times now in his career. That I mean, it's just – well. This is the Titans this year, right? It's like they kind of potter along okay, and then Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown just become impossible to tackle. 
and then they win. That's when they win games, right? Like, yeah. It's a couple of times now where they've been, you know, hanging with pretty good teams, and it's been okay. And then Derrick Henry and AJ Brown just dominate and cannot be stopped, and that's when they win. And that was this game. That was the Baltimore game. Like Henry late in this game, AJ Brown early in the game, and then like also houses the onside kick attempt when the Colts are trying to come back. But that's been the story of the Titans: is those two guys are physical freaks right yeah. they are just too big too powerful too difficult to stop aj brown's got speed as well i mean he is all the things that we talk about uh, dk metcalf just being a matchup problem the same thing is true with with aj brown as well and those two guys are on the same team in college but the colts just ran into that and didn't have an answer particularly with deforest buckner missing so they they were already like light and you know challenged up front heading into the game and Derrick Henry just ran right over them that was a big story absolutely DeForest Buckner not being there there's a couple other COVID cases for the Colts the run defense for Indianapolis was just atrocious the grades when the grades come out this will be one of the worst graded run defense effort you'll ever see hmm. like it's in the 30s hey. right now as of right now so that is uh, another one of the stories of the game we you know we poo-poo on the running game quite a bit but if it's dominant it's dominant and you know if it if it's if it's successful and you can move the ball at that type of clip you do it so derrick henry was uh was difficult to stop man and it was just the again the tight that it's what the make the make it's what makes the titans difficult is oh you got to tackle derrick henry you got to cover aj brown you got Corey davis and uh and Tannehill did a nice job again distributing the ball he's still playing he's playing solid football he's he's not doing what he did last year but this is classic Titans football right he only had to drop back 27 times and uh and Henry did a, a lot of the work that's what they want to be able to do yeah so they made a lot in the broadcast about like this is the game that you know this is why you gave Derrick Henry all the money um it's for November December like rumbling Derrick Henry I don't know. I, is there anything to this idea that, like, late in the season, after everybody's knackered and falling apart anyway and injuries strike, Derrick Henry's rumbling 250-pound nightmare issue to stop becomes a bigger problem to deal with? I think the depleted Colts defense. Right, but, this, but that's kind of my point, right? It's not that, like, it's not that Derrick Henry becomes more powerful as everybody else gets weaker, right, late in the season. But if Derrick Henry is still up and running and everybody else is getting injured because just attritionally teams get weaker as the season goes on, that's why it becomes an issue. Not that, like, everybody else is just an inferior human specimen. Yeah, I mean, sure. But it, it also it also helps that the entire offensive line – yeah, I'm making your point, too. It, it helps that I think the, the entire offensive line all graded well above average from a run game perspective and eh, narrative – narrative stuff is fun and all but I, I think again we said this a couple weeks ago you have a Derrick Henry or you have a Dalvin Cook for two three four games a year where I think they become a legitimate factor over another back over the average running back is that fair yeah they don't, I mean they don't win you three or four games a year but they because there's there's certain games where it's like oh yeah we didn't have to pass a whole lot because the running back decided to become a freak show <laughs> combined with the offensive line and poor run defense. I mean, last year his grade was 10 points better in the second half of the season than it was in the first half of the season. Okay, he might be the – I know, he could be the entire trend breaker. I don't know. 
he could be the guy. And the scary thing about that, if it holds true this year, is it as great as like, it's like five points better in the first half this year than the second half last year. So if that trend continues, he's going to turn into like Jim Brown on steroids, second half of the year. Okay, let's roll with that. I was going to go with Juggernaut from the X Men, but I like yours better. No, I was. I could also use Roided my, up Jim Brown, my Bud Bowl example again. No, stick with Roided up Jim. I like that one. Okay, so I got one for you, Sam. Mm -hmm. Grades aren't finalized yet, but Philip Rivers is on pace to continue this incredible trend, Folsian trend, of he's he has not graded in the 60s <laughs> this year. 60 is about dead average, yeah. right? 67, 68, you know, it's pretty average, light green, slightly above average. He now has seven games, right? Four, seven. Seven games at 70 plus. That's good. That's mm. above average. And this will be his fourth game under 60. There'll be there after this game, assuming this holds, there will be no middle ground on uh, on Philip Rivers this year. And those games, they did they they beat the Bears, right? They beat the Bears. Uh, I don't remember now. That was Week Four. But his four games: Titans, Bears, Ravens, and Browns. I know they lost three out of the four. I think they did beat the Bears though. Um, so. The Colts are going as Phillip Rivers goes. If he plays like essentially the way Jacoby Brissett played last year. They did beat the Bears. Yeah. So they're one in three in these games where he's under 70. And that has largely been the difference in their season to this point. Yeah. I mean, last week I think was a game where like he was brought in for that game, right? Packers get up. Um, you need to like, you know, have a quarterback that can execute that kind of comeback. And Jacoby Brissett isn't it. Um, the problem is that all of their games seem to be that this season with Phillip Rivers. It's like they are dependent on Rivers, and they literally perform as he performs. If he has a good game, they can score. They can get up big, or they can execute big comebacks, and they can win. If Rivers just has a bad game where he starts heaving the ball at the opposition, they're sunk. Um, it's actually – because the weird thing is we anticipated a big reason Phillip Rivers might have success this year is because they had – what looked like the best run-blocking offensive line in the NFL on paper heading into the season. And it really hasn't been. Like, No, the, line, the line's definitely disappointed. Guys and there's like, been certain games from a pass-pro standpoint they've disappointed. And guys like Quentin Nelson, who was like on this track to being you know, Larry Allen again, right? Really good as a rookie, particularly after like the first few games that were relatively shaky. And then like from that point on, he was the best guard in the NFL, 90-grade heading into year three or like this guy's about to put it into the stratosphere and just be unbelievable and it's taken a big step backwards like it's not like he's bad he's still really good but he hasn't he's he's become worse than he was a year ago rather than even better which was where we thought he was headed um and the entire line just hasn't been as good so not only has that had this effect on philip rivers where he's very dependent on an offensive line at this point it hasn't provided this unstoppable platform for the running game to have whatever success it wants to have right it was like whoever wins whoever wins the sort of hot hand job on a weekly basis the hot hand job that didn't come out right um on a weekly basis between jonathan taylor naheem hines and can, can we get an editor in here Jordan please wilkins like whoever wins that gig is going to be dominant on that game because the the, the run blocking is so good in front of them but it hasn't been so every now and again you get like a jonathan taylor game where he shows up looks good but it hasn't been the platform to like carry an offense and make make it so that Philip Rivers doesn't need to play well. He needs to play well, otherwise the Colts don't win games. It's really as simple as that. Point well made. 
Yeah, I thought so. Look, when you say enough words over time, sometimes. Uh, well, I was hoping if I just kept going long enough, we could get past the unfortunate, you know, word. word I'm glad you caught it because I wasn't going to say anything. I mean, I wasn't going to say anything. No. Anyway, um, I think my point coming into the game, too, is these two teams, it wasn't as lopsided as it looked a couple Thursdays ago where the Colts won. Sure. Titans flipped the script here, and uh, the AFC South is pretty competitive. So the Titans play the Texans, right? Titans and Texans next week, I believe. And uh, that's an interesting one because the Texans, they're not pushovers if Deshaun Watson's playing top three I mean, at a top three level, which he is right he's now. He's the best quarterback in the division, even if the team around him is not good. Ooh. A good take and the right one. All right, let's go to the Arizona Cardinals at the New England Patriots. Look at the Patriots sneaking this one out 20 to 17. It looked like so Cam Newton will have walked away from this game, but the passer rating was like 30 or something like that. No, less than that. What the heck was it? It was the lowest for a winning quarterback in a long, long time. Um, not that with 23.6. It looked like he threw a game, essentially a game ending interception. They're in a game winning drive interception Drake Kirkpatrick kind of beats up Demir Bird but Cam leaves it way inside regardless and then Zane Gonzalez misses the go-ahead field goal the Patriots drive back and Cam so the point I've made about Kyler Murray in the past is that he brings a baseline of success to the offense because of the run game uh, even when he's not passing well he brings some value that was kind of Cam in this game yesterday. Converts a few first downs on design runs, and then it's third and 10. Keeper for a first down. So in a game where Cam, this was like, this is like a college box score here. He's nine of 18 for 84 yards, two picks, the 23 passer rating, but he had nine carries for 46, including a key 14 yarder on the game-winning drive. Also a little sketchy penalty there. That was the penalty yeah, play, right? Yeah, by yeah. only Simmons. enhanced by the extra 15 tacked on at the end of He it. was inbounds, but Isaiah Simmons kind of hit him low chin strap-ish. I don't inbounds. think that's what they did. I don't – yeah, so you can make the case that that was illegal anyway because it was sort of helmet-to-helmet-ish. I don't think that's what they called it for, That's though. not late. He was inbounds. Yeah, but that's what I think I, – I think you've just reached a point now where you can't hit quarterbacks – as they're heading to the sideline if you're it's not the white line is no longer the the demarcation of when you're not allowed to hit him it's like if he's close to the white line you've got to ease up you can't take a shot at him so in this game a couple things happened there first off cam did not play a good football game but i think it also should, what the rushing ability does you know raise the floor of the offense a little bit cam showed that I have issue with the rules. I hate talking rules. I hate it. I hate it. Hmm. But Kyler Murray, there was a there was a player that he had in this game too, where he kind of like looked like he was going to slide, and the defender slowed up, and then Kyler just you know scats right past him. Um, the the quarterbacks are doing a really good job of exploiting the rules that are already in their favor. And I'm not Cam didn't exploit the rules along the sideline, no, but it's, he just got hit in the mouth. He just happened to get hit. But it's one of those things where like we're seeing quarterbacks sliding as late as possible, almost inducing, you know, 15 yard penalties, uh, an almost fake slide by Kyler. And not, again, not that Cam did anything on purpose, but he essentially, they get a free 15 because there's a hit along the sideline where the guy's still in bounds. And so quarterbacks do that as well, right? They stay in bounds as long as possible and almost invite the hit that looks like it's late and it's a free 15. And I, I hate it. Yeah. So this is, there's a discussion to be had that, in fact, is often had more with defenseless receivers, right? And, like, what do you expect the safety to do, right? I think this is worse. Like, 
the the play that Kyler Murray made showed that you there's literally no answer as a defender. Like you you can be put in a spot where you are wrong whatever you do. You either treat him as a genuine running threat and you have to make a hit at which point he can literally bait you wait until you're committed to the hit and then start to slide and now it's a penalty or you ease up because you don't want that to happen and he does what he did and just run around you and like you're screwed the the fact that you the fact that there it's possible now to essentially manufacture that penalty anytime you want it is i think a problem in the rules that shouldn't be the case it's i think the only the only real situation where you can actually induce a penalty by your own actions, effectively, deliberately, any single play you want. I can't think of another scenario where that's possible. I can think of, you know, you can try and do it with hard counts and all those kinds of things, but this is basically impossible to stop that way, and that does feel like an issue. And it's 15 yards Yeah, is the thing. I mean, it's kind of like the, the uneven balance of like the underthrown 40-yard pass interference that gives you 40. Um, Kyler made some nice plays in this game. Some of his his best throws was the uh, the, the throw and duck, throw and duck pass. They love, threw love a good throw and cower. <laughs> he yeah, throw and cower. That's better. That's better. Not not coward, but cower. Hmm. Um, they made the point on this broadcast though too that it seemed like Arizona was a lot more they were protective of Kyler. Had the shoulder injury, trying to protect him from hits. So now the opposite is true. This, this floor that the offense has with Kyler as a runner where he's going to run eight to ten times a game, scrambles and design runs, he only runs five times, had one big run, and that was it pretty much, a couple, couple key runs. But it just the, the margin of error for this offense now is a lot tighter where they don't have those free yards on the ground, only end up scoring 17 with the missed field goal, and I do think it limits them a little bit offensively. Yeah. Not having Kyler as a as a runner. It does. Um, there was something tremendously fitting in this game as well about the only New England receivers having catches, wide receivers being Jacoby Myers and then Demir Bird, like the only two that can actually generate any form of separation whatsoever. Only one catch for James White ruined the fact that they would be the only two receivers at all for the Patriots to have a catch. Nikhil Harry, 0 for 3 yeah. when targeted. That's That's not great. Um, the kill's funny too because they use him to crack block a lot in the run game and stuff, and it's like he'll miss a few of those. It's like, all right, dude, if you're, <laughs> we need you to at least. What are you good at here exactly? We need you to at least hit some crack blocks, break one on one of these end around jet sweep deals, and you know create a little bit after the catch to to maximize <laughs> your ability. And it's just not happening for uh, for Nikhil. Yeah, um, and then DeAndre Hopkins and the the, the Hopkins Gilmore battle was pretty fun. Oh, it was, it was great. They had a penalty on both guys on the same play. Yeah. You never see that. <laughs> well, usually when you get those like absurdly physical one-on-one matchups, it's just like, all right, we got to let most of this let go. Them play? Well, because otherwise, I mean, we've had this before, like, you know, Richard Sherman and Brandon Marshall had one a couple of years ago where it's like, I mean, we would throw a flag on every play if we, if we actually call this crap. We've just got to let this go until somebody does something like so egregious that you can't not throw a flag on it. The, um, the the one play, it was like Hopkins like pushed off and then Gilmore grabbed him, yeah. right? So it's like, all right, yeah, it's pass interference. I think it guys. was like hands to the face first. It was like a push off to the face, which Gilmore then like countered by grabbing the by jersey. Just grabbing him, so. Yeah. yeah, we'll just call it penalties on both guys. Uh, Patriots inside defenders. So the linebackers, slot corner, Jonathan Jones. All, a lot of guys played pretty well. Jamon Bentley, 
making some plays in coverage. Kyle Duggar, you know, one of their guys to watch the New England, their developmental safety that has become a, a pretty useful player for them. Um, so, it, you know, a classic gritty win for New England with almost no pass game to speak of. And here they are now at, at five and six. Arizona falls to six and five. Two weeks ago, we we're talking about Arizona tied atop the NFC West. And now they're really battling for a, a playoff spot in the NFC. This is, I think, classic for the Patriots this season. They're not good, but they're dangerous. Like any, they still have teeth. You know, the coaching ability and the game right. plan skills and the talent that they do still have in terms of, you know, the floor that Cam Newton brings and all those kinds of things. They're not a good team, but they're still scary if you have to face them and you actually need wins on your schedule because a game like this can happen where you need to rely on your kicker to make a shot and he doesn't happen and you end up, you know, going away with a loss. You know, they play the Chargers uh, next week, a team that is the opposite end of the spectrum, the way they've managed the game. Um, so they play the Chargers to try to get back to 500, and then it's Rams, Dolphins, Bills, Jets. Rams, Dolphins, and Bills games are all difficult. Um, but again, I think the Patriots are one of those teams that are, they're going to be playing you know, one score. Their last five games have all been within one score, and they're 3-2. and two. And that just feels like that's what's going to happen with New England the rest of this – the rest of – this season speaking of the chargers let's go to their game against the buffalo bills bills got up quickly um i thought this was a game that showed the bills all-around team again you know their defense played pretty well pass rush was getting after it. it i know we say this every week against the team that played the chargers bottom five pass blocking team but the bills from jerry hughes at oliver those guys were getting after it against justin herbert uh josh allen had some some rough plays in there but trick play for a touchdown, 20-yarder uh, to Gabriel Davis from Cole Beasley, 21-yard touchdown run from Devin Singletary. So Buffalo, all-around team effort, good job by them. Chargers, but they kept trying to give the Chargers opportunities. Fourth quarter turnovers, fumbles by the Bills, Josh Allen interception, he fumbled twice on one play, <laughs> dropped I, the snap. You I said it was three? I, yeah, I didn't see, like, I didn't go back and study the replay, but that honestly might have been three fumbles on one play. Dropped the snap, picked it up, immediately dropped it again, picked it up, gets it knocked out again. Like that, I don't think I've ever seen that if it was three. So the Bills did everything they could to let the Chargers back into the game, including a Justin, was a fourth and 27 prayer for a first down. And then the Hail Mary. Yeah, that was the Hail, yeah, that was the one. They had two, didn't they? Like bank to bank? Those two big plays that they gave up, I think. Oh, yeah, maybe I'm forgetting the one. Um, but this was, for most of the game, actually, yeah, the, like the Bills' offense was vastly outcoaching the Chargers' defense, but individual players were conspiring to let that down and almost offset the advantage they had. Like the play calling that they were dialing up was carving this Chargers' defense up so badly and that like the number of free plays and just busts and massive mismatches that they had schemed up were, were crazy. Um, the Bills are doing an amazing job at that and then just kept letting it be close because they couldn't execute in key times. Multiple turnover-worthy plays from Justin Herbert on the other end. So, yeah, the Bills, the Bills again, I think it's, it was an all-around team effort for Buffalo between all of the contributions that they had on both sides of the ball – and, uh, man, the Chargers on the goal line, man, they had one of the funniest plays you'll ever see, a QB <laughs> sneak while the, while the entire 
offensive line was pass blocking. If you haven't seen it, not ideal. Let's paint this picture. The line is pass blocking. The quarterback is trying to sneak it, and it ended about as you would expect. Yeah, which if you think about it means they're heading in the opposite direction at the time. You know, pass blocking, the offensive line is dropping back to create this sort of cushion pocket. Sneak, the quarterback is trying to drive forwards, you know, to get a small amount of yardage. It was one of those plays where, you know, they everyone, the quarterback starts off in shotgun, sees a gap, you know, comes up under center, takes the quick snap to drive forward and get the free yardage. Only evidently somebody didn't get the message and by somebody i mean all of the offensive line uh which feels like a justin herbert error right yeah i mean i see people trying to blame the coaches no like i mean um, obviously the coaches look if he has the freedom to make that adjustment right which is look up and let's see the gap right you see the gap you look up you're like oh look there's a free sneak here if i want it i'm gonna go go understand there snap the ball quick snap free yardage right it's on you to communicate to the offensive line that that's what you're doing. Otherwise, right. they're not going to know. So, After all that mess, the, the Chargers were down 10. They had the prayer, Hail Mary, 4th and 27 conversion. They run up to the line and then ran a running play with God, no timeouts. Their only shot was quick touchdown, onside kick. and Right, you know, they needed two scores. Like, you right. can't do that. Whatever about one score – all right, we have enough time to run a play here and hope we get in. If not, we've still got time. You needed two. But this is what it – but the whole game felt like – the Bills were up 24-6 to six at one point, and the whole game felt like the game was over, and the Chargers didn't really believe that they had a shot every time the Bills kept fumbling and letting them back into it. But before you know it, it was – they're on the goal line, two scores down with, you know, seconds left, but still technically a chance. But I look at it from the Bills' standpoint saying, okay, they took care of business. They – uh they played a good game defensively. Their defense is coming around after a slow start this year. I think that was a really disappointing start to the season for a Bills defense that had been consistently good under Sean McDermott, but they absolutely dominated at the line of scrimmage, all of their guys. Uh, Joey Bosa did was the only guy that could get pressure on the other side for the Chargers. He was really good. He was really good. Um, he was highlighted often on the broadcast because he was making plays, three actual sacks and multiple other pressures, but Buffalo takes care of business there in control in the AFC East because the mm-hmm. Dolphins are Not coming so quickly. Uh, let's let's touch on Sunday Night Football. Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers. Just a beatdown. Yeah, it turns out that Trubisky didn't fix it. Who would have thunk? He did not. Despite apparently having the best week of practice Matt Nagy had ever seen. I mean, that's surprising. I like that that was at least thrown out there as take this as you will. We're not going <laughs> to – nobody's going to, you know – make any judgments on it either way but you know take it as you will (laughs) to be fair to Matt Nagy like he's at this point in such like what do you say like we know it's Trubisky you know it's Trubisky everybody knows how this is going to go this is what we're dealt with right these are the ragged dog-eared cards that fate has dealt me and this is the hand I have to play I know that I'm sitting here with a bunch of low mismatched squat and you have a full house but this is this is the hand. This is the only hand I've got. So we got to push all the chips in, and you know it's still Trubisky. And even like at halftime, it was like, oh, I was okay with the first interception because we knew we were taking a shot in the play. Like what? I mean that. Okay, but that doesn't like that's not a reason it was okay. That's just what. And then another like hideous injury. It's just bad. 
And the funny thing is, like, when you're in this situation and it's already going bad and you're already turnovers and you're already dealing with Trubisky, you then, like, there's a forced fumble where he gets face masked, like, twice in the same play and it doesn't get seen, right? (sighs) Fumble, pick it up, score. It's like even uneven calls just because he's not a top 32 quarterback in the world. That's not right. (laughs) It's like things are already going south because you're starting Mitch Trubisky. At least have the decency to see when the man is face masked twice instead of adding to his misery by, you know, having that lead to a uh, fumble touchdown the other way. I saw Tony Dungy make the comparison of like they had they benched Trent Dilfer, their first overall, their their number one pick, Mm. benched him. And then in 1999, they had to put him back out there after they were like three and six, and he actually played the best football of his career. And I was like, well, Trubisky already had that year. Yeah. He already had that 2018 season. He already had the same, like a better year than Dilfer even had, probably, well, statistically at least, you know, but that Dilfer had when he That's won the Super I'm Bowl. That's what I'm saying. Like nobody, nobody Where can the defense po- carried yeah. him, and you thought that, the, yeah, maybe there's something here. Nobody could possibly have expected like this to go well. You know what I mean? It's like, we know. It's Trubisky. We know how it's going to go. There's one play that like should be held up as like the encapsulation of Trubisky. It was like an out that had a sort of high-low read from two receivers, and the ball was wide of both of them. And they both like looked at each other like, which one of us was that even to? That, that's Trubisky in a nutshell. And it was before they benched him. It still is him. Nothing's changed. Oh, Darnell Savage with the two interceptions, making some big plays on the back end for the Packers. Is there anything to glean from this game from the Packers? It just felt like no, a mismatch than, right yeah. from the beginning. Rodgers was uh, workmanlike, right? Yeah, they got the win. They got out of there. It's a division game. You took care of business. You made it comfortable. Now move on against teams that can actually challenge you with a real quarterback. All right, so there you go. Well, that was easy. Yeah. Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies and helping customers choose the right solutions, Together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Let's go to the game I called. Did I pick the Falcons to upset the, uh, the Raiders? Oh, I thought you were like moonlighting as in the booth. No, I didn't, I didn't actually call the game. No. Okay. How difficult do you think? We're going to get to Denver in a minute where you seem to think that you could do a... Don't you seem to, put words in my mouth. That's not what I said. Don't do it. Playing, playing quarterback in the NFL is difficult. We'll get to it. How well do you think you do calling a game? <laughs> not well at all. I, I don't know. I, I, well, it depends, right? You know, you see some games where it's like the game's out of hand. They just start having a chat. I, I could do that okay. But where you actually have to like time... <laughs> Your insertions for like 12 seconds in between a play and make some point that's cogent and coherent. Now, that being said, I'm not sure what the setup is when you have like spotters and replays before other people and, you know, you get like teed up essentially to make your point well. I I don't know how much easier that makes it, but from my position right now, it feels like a pretty tough gig. Yeah, I saw uh, awfulannouncing.com or at awful announcing or whatever, talking about Mike Tirico being like off the charts good at making yeah. things interesting in uninteresting games. Yeah. He's that good. would be 
that would absolutely be a challenge. Mike Tirico, friend of the show. Anyway, Atlanta Falcons destroy the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah. My point coming in and why I said Vegas is on upset alert, not like get crushed by the Falcons alert, but upset yeah. alert was twofold. Atlanta, outside of the drubbing by Taysom Hill Saints, had been really good over the last few weeks, or at least much better over the last few weeks. And Vegas put everything they had yeah. into that Chiefs game on Sunday night. That was, I think, the takeaway is that this game felt like the pay or felt like the cost for the previous week, Yeah, including Derek Carr, right? You know, we came out of that game saying that was like the best game of Derek Carr's career. That was near perfect. He was absolutely incredible. He was the better quarterback of the two between him and Patrick Mahomes, who was just like Superman this week. Derek Carr was phenomenal a week ago and couldn't win, came away with a loss. This felt like like the the, 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 deal, the deal with the devil, right? I'm going to make a, a deal with, with the devil so that I can play like the best quarterback in the world and beat Patrick Mahomes and sweep the Chiefs, be amazing, right? You're like, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll do that. I will make that deal with you. But next week, it's not going to happen. You're going to get killed by the Falcons. They would have made that deal. All right, that, that seems fair. Mike, I can... Only they didn't beat the Chiefs. They still lost. And then you had to pay, pay the piper. And this is what happened. And honestly, it wasn't even all Derek Carr again. Like, he no, got let down not. by receivers, drops in there. But this did feel across the board like the cost of last week. 43-6 to six yeah. is the final. Raiders fall to 6-5. and five. And That's a big loss for them in terms of, like, they were in a pretty good position for, you know, AFC playoffs and in the hunt and all these kinds of things. That was a big blow for their playoff it's standing. A, it's such a weird season for the Raiders. They've beaten the Saints, and they've beaten the Chiefs. Yes. Right? They've beaten the two teams that are, other than the Steelers, <laughs> acknowledged as the two best teams in the NFL, right? Um, lose to Buffalo, good team. They get destroyed by Tampa Bay, uh, but they beat the Browns, who are 8-3. and three. Beat the Chargers, beat the Broncos, took care of business. But... It's one of the you, – you were texting me about this too. It's like I hate teams that I can't figure out. And I think there's there's always a few teams, and I don't know if it's a Gruden thing, but they're, like Rex Ryan's teams used to be like this. Yeah. I think Jack Del Rio's teams used to be like this. Jack Del Rio, when he was coaching the Jags, they would beat Peyton Manning usually once a year in those in those division games. They would put everything into right. beating Peyton Manning. They make their Super Bowl a random week seven game against the best team in the NFL. And Rex Ryan did the same thing against New England. They'd give the Patriots a really good game, and then they lose a game that they never should. Um, you see this more, I think, in college, where college kids are harder to motivate yeah. week to week, right? Keeping these, keeping guys motivated every week. And, and But that's like the even-kill nature of the NFL is so crucial. So that's why you go from – you just about beat the Chiefs to losing to the Falcons 43-6 to when you needed to take care of business with the Falcons and the Jets – next up on the schedule Fo football is a game that's so complicated there's so many moving pieces there's so much to scheme and execution and knowledge and understanding and right and correct decision making um that we sometimes lose sight of the fact that it's still a really violent game where sometimes just want to is a big part of it the problem with that is and it's rugby is very similar for the same reason right it's a very physical violent game but there's also so much nuance and decision-making and, and scheme in it. And you kind of forget the, the sort of primal brute force of it sometimes. Um, and there was a guy, it's been a while since I made a rugby reference, so let's, let's break it out. 
Paul O'Connell, great Irish lock. At PFF Rugby, yeah. moving along here. Great Irish lock used to say that, look, there's only so many times you can go to that emotional well. You know, you can't do that every week, right? You, every now and again, you can get yourself up to that emotional fever pitch and just overwhelm the opposition because you want it more than them. But you can't do it every single week. It, it just doesn't function that way, right? You, you get numb to it. You get immune to it. I think that's what you see with football is that every now and again, you can get yourself up for that game and be better essentially than an opposition that is significantly better than you talent-wise because you got up for it more than they did. But you can't do that next week and then the week after that and the week after that. There's only so many times you can go to that well in the course of a season. And some coaches, I think, are pretty good at finding it every now and again. But you need the answer for the other 15 weeks. Yeah, you do. Sorry, I was just checking something out. Okay. You're going to just – that's fine. That's fine. I was just making a really insightful point there on behalf of Paul O'Connell. And you, you go ahead and ignore <laughs> I'll it. replay and make sure I've got the, the right call. I mean, my rugby knowledge is going through the roof really lately is. here over at, uh, at PFF. So, um, I think the Falcons – so, the, I mentioned earlier how the Bucks have to play the Falcons twice and, it, you know, maybe they could win out. The Falcons are becoming a tough out. Are they, they similar to the Texans where, the, you know, the defense has been a train wreck? Hmm. Matt still Ryan's is. played – Matt Ryan's not playing at Deshaun Watson level, but he's been solid his whole career and still this year as well. They're going to be a tough out. Yeah, I mean, that's a, the most disappointing thing from the Raiders' perspective is that, like, that Falcons defense is garbage, and they only put up six points. Didn't yeah. They? Like, that was, that's bad. And it knocks them out of playoff content – or not contention, but out of playoff seeding. Bad. Um, yeah, the, the Falcons, obviously they're not the Patriots. There's a lot of differences, but they – they're dangerous in a similar kind of way, right? Not necessarily because of the, the game plan thing, the scheme, the week-to-week, but because on any given week, Matt Ryan to Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones when he's out there, and they have a lot of weaponry still. They can put up points in a hurry, and sometimes you're not going to fire on the other side. And if you don't and they do, you end up with what happened this week, like a 40-point beatdown. Man, Disappointing disappointing and look again it's i think it's just that week-to-week nature of the nfl it is it is difficult to be good every single week. the margins are fine even amongst teams that are like in theory much better than each other like it doesn't take much for you to be off and them to be on and suddenly the game is completely different the way you thought it was going to well, go that's why i think we, that's why you're not what your record is right yeah. you can't just go into game and say this team's three and six this team's six and three six and three is way better i mean you're you sometimes you're just a handful of plays different yes and it leads to those you know, three games of difference all right let's get to this new orleans denver game okay I, if here's my point before we even touch on this thing <laughs> If you were going to come on to this show, uh-huh. you, Sam, yes. and say, it was cold in Cleveland, throw the game out, it's over. Who okay. cares? Who cares about the Cleveland game? It, was, it, it hailed once yeah. a little bit. Let's throw it out. There is no way you're going to spend more than 30 seconds talking about this game and glean oh, anything I don't want to make this a, Broncos-Saints game. I don't think you have – there's no predictive point to make out of this game, certainly for Denver. Um, I do, on the other hand, have many points to make about this game. All right, well, first of all, let's at least set the scene. Well, yeah, what, what happened? Yeah, that's where I was going first. The Jeff Driscoll got COVID or was exposed to COVID. Um, and all of the other Broncos quarterbacks, all of them were deemed close contacts. And the reason for that is they apparently showed up during their off day on a Tuesday to watch film together in the facility, took their masks off. Um, so they were all 
ruled out for the game, basically, right? Yeah. And the the league essentially said, no, we're not moving a game for competitive reasons. Denver were like, please put this back to Tuesday so that one of our quarterbacks can play the game. And they were like, no, that's a competitive reason. The only reason we would move a game is if there's a risk of exposure. And since you've isolated all the quarterbacks, that isn't the case anymore. So Denver couldn't play a quarterback in this game, right? And you can't bring anyone in off the street because they can't clear COVID protocols in time. So somebody in the building already had to play quarterback for Denver. This so who was in the building, Sam? Well, this was apparently such a disaster for them, they genuinely petitioned the league to have a QC coach start at quarterback for them, which is mind-blowing. They thought that their best chance of having a viable quarterback in this game was a QC coach because he knew the system well enough. Now, he was a college quarterback as well some years ago, but this is not a guy with like any kind of NFL experience playing quarterback. They didn't do that. They ended up starting a practice squad wide receiver who was a college quarterback before he transitioned to wide receiver. Um, and that went about as well as you would have anticipated it going. Now, I the takeaway with this was not they, the poor kid, right? He ended up completing more passes to the opposition than he did to his own team, right? Two to the Saints, one to his own teammates. Ugly Kendall, day. Kendall Hinton, he ends at one, one for nine for 13 yards. Yeah. So, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Ugly day for him. Basically a no win. Not not even a no win. No like no shot. Had no prayer, right? Poor guy. I was vaguely shocked how little help he got from a schematic point of view. Like how little was dialed up to actually give him anything free, anything cheap, anything easy, nothing, right? My other takeaway from this game is, wow, did the Saints dodge a bullet in terms of having somebody looking that bad on the other end of the scale because – for you know the, the caveat you brought up last week it's like oh, yeah the Taysom Hill thing looked pretty well on the other hand the Falcons right this is like the flip side of that it's like oh wow if they'd been playing Denver last week we might have been coming out of that saying you know the Taysom Hill joke is is a joke it is a punchline this is not going to function at this level this is bad okay Taysom Hill looked bad against the Broncos and nobody really noticed because on the other side they had a guy who wasn't a quarterback playing quarterback yeah the only fun part about this game is like the crazy superlatives that come out of it you know this is the lowest gross passing yard game since 1982 when I think it was Patriots Dolphins was that the three nothing snowblower game or whatever I mean it was, it was like a, a weather game from 1982 yeah. was the last time you saw something like this just before the two minute just after the two minute warning the Saints had 14 passing yards and negative 13 on sacks, giving them one net passing yard, the Saints, to the Broncos, zero, who didn't have a completion or a sack. Um, I, I think there's a point. That, so let me make the same point I made about Cam and the Patriots. Cam came out of that game with a 23 passer rating, but he had a couple key rushes and, and all that. The Saints ran for 229 on 44 carries. They ended up scoring 31 points. And I, I know that the, you get short fields when you have the turnovers coming from the Broncos and all that stuff. Do you view it as the Saints, you can win ugly? You can point, you not just win ugly. I'm not saying that you win. If they won 6-3, to three, <laughs> right, you would be like, man, they're really winning ugly. They're putting up points mm. in an ugly manner. So it's like, okay, Latavius Murray is going to run for 124 and Kamara is going to average about five yards per carry and Taysom still ran 10 times for 44 yards and two touchdowns so the college box score again he goes nine for 16 throws for 78 yards and a pick 
But hey, he added 44 yards and two touchdowns on the ground, and the rest of the run game around him was efficient. Is this, again, the floor for Taysom Hill's Saints offense that, yeah, he's not going to look like a polished passer. He's not going to look anything like Drew Brees, but you can still create offense in a run-first manner and score 31. Yeah, but you can when the other team doesn't have a quarterback. Like, this is the problem, right? Like the Agreed. This is why— That's a factor. <laughs> yes. This is why that this game, there's no real sort of takeaway in broad terms because it's, it's, it's one situation was so bad it completely warps anything you want to look at. Taysom Hill comes out of this game with a grade of 45, looks like a disaster in the passing game, looks like a non-viable NFL quarterback, but they still put up – the argument would be, well, they still put up 31 points and won the game comfortably. You're like, yeah, well, that's easy to do when the opposition literally cannot complete a pass in the game. One. One pass all game, and they threw it to you twice. And that You can score 31 points doing almost anything when that happens if they faced any kind of viable – Alter, like opposition in terms of offense what would that have actually produced and that would be the concern for the saints is okay what is Taysom hill grading at a 45 level throwing less than 100 yards and, and causing a turnover what does that generate against a team that can actually complete a first down every oh, now and I, again? look I, I know it's not i know it's not good I, there, there's no takeaways from this game here's the one other thing I'll i mean say. that's the takeaway right is that last week we were encouraged by the Taysom hill offense now this week you're massively discouraged and yet, discouraged with an asterisk, we don't know how bad it was. Um, I feel bad for Kendall Hinton. We're not going to yes. trash him at all. Um, it did feel like if you did put a, a high school-level quarterback out into an NFL game, what would it look like? I mean, it's just you don't have a shot. Um, for all the people on Twitter who said that they could accidentally hit a home run or complete a 40-yard <laughs> bomb or sack a quarterback and all that stuff, you probably can't. I mean, this does – that is a big takeaway is like – how hard is it to play quarterback in the NFL? Turns out really hard. Really difficult. Like, you know, for whatever you joke about the, the crappy quarterbacks in the NFL, not even the starters, right? The guys that, like, are backups that have no real shot, you know, it, those guys are amongst the most talented players in the world, right? Yeah. This is the elite of the, the Matt Barkleys of the world, right? Who you're like, that guy can't start a game in the NFL. A guy... Is a barely functional backup. Like Matt Barkley has been distilled from the elite quarterbacks of the college game, makes it to the NFL, not really good enough to actually have a major part other than a backup, and he's still amazing compared with like the general standard of quarterback. Just because a guy once threw a pass, you can't put that guy in a lineup and expect it to even be functional, let alone good. Um, so here's the argument I would make against the NFL, saying, hey, we don't want to move it. What's that? Generally? Just in – Oh, this specific, like, rather than just, I'm, you know, against the league. The, the league making the, this game be played. It, it's not a comp – so you don't want to – I think they did want to make a point. Hey, like, hey, Denver, take care of your guys. You screwed up. Yeah. At the same time, it's a physical game. You know, in baseball, if you put somebody incompetent out there, yeah. like, nobody's life is in danger, really, unless you put a guy out there that throws 100 miles an hour who could hit you in the head with the ball, um, has no accuracy. There are careers on the line here. Like if Kendall Hinton is throwing hospital passes over the middle or just the fact that like guys are losing money. Like Jerry Judy had no catches. Mm. Jerry Judy's going to be up for a contract in three years. Tim Patrick is a free agent. He's up for a contract. Like people's careers. Or bonuses. I mean. Bonuses, contracts, and all this stuff. They completed one pass for 13 yards. Like the statistical 
anomaly that is this game counts as one sixteenth of your season. Yeah, Broncos, right? And Janoris Jenkins maybe made money because he had a pick, <laughs> right? And Chauncey Gardner Johnson made money because he had a pick that was handed to him by a guy that couldn't even play quarterback at Wake Forest. So I don't like that. Like I don't like the integrity of the NFL looking like this. And I know it's it's a, it's a, it's a different year. It's a COVID year, and, and we talked about this in the summer. What happens if the entire QB room? Yeah, gets COVID. Well, we just found out they're going to put a backup quarterback from Wake Forest in there potentially, and, and you just deal with it, Broncos. Um, but I don't like it, and I think, and I don't, I think the fans lose out. I think everybody loses out, other than the fact that you love this thing and you want well, to see some creativity and everything. Right? I I do. Lo- so I'm the guy who every week when like the starter goes down, the backup comes in, the backup gets hurt, and suddenly you're down to your third string quarterback, and it's like they always, you know down to Tracy on the sideline, who's the emergency quarterback, right? I'm always the guy that just out of comedy curiosity wants to see the emergency quarterback just to see what that offense would look like. Turns out that offense looks like crap, and it's really not yeah. It's not worth the entertainment value, which is what I thought was going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I think the best argument against that is when does a, when does a competitive imbalance become dangerous? Like, when does it become a safety issue? And I, like... This poor kid was hung out to dry and had no shot. His safety. Other right, his teammate's safety, his safety, like, everybody's at, at safety. At what point is it dangerous for him to throw him out there and expect him to play quarterback without any idea how to get it done and without that much help from his system? Like, would, forget the competitive balance thing, right? Denver, we're going to lose this game the second it, was, it went that way. The game went out to like a 15-point spread, and the Saints were covering that in the first half. Like, right. the, the, the competitive thing was out the window. Like, at some point – this is not fair to hang this kid out to dry like that. And that, I think, would have been a good reason to move this game. Saints hold on to the number one seed in the NFC. Taysom Hill's Saints, number one seed in the NFC. All right, let's get through some of these other games. San Francisco 49ers pull the upset against the Rams. The Rams are coming off that Monday night game uh, against the Bucs. Mm-hmm. Defense playing great all season. Defense played well again. You know, they made plays and kind of hung with them, but... The Rams' offense is just brutally inconsistent. It seemed like they had turned a corner and uh, turned it over like crazy yesterday against the 49ers. Is Shanahan the only one that can, I don't want to say figured out the Rams, but you know, somewhat figure out this Rams' defense? I've given up trying to make any sense of the NFC West. Oh, good. It's nuts. It doesn't make any sense. Never. Week to week. It's crazy. It's madness. We know the Seahawks are going to go on a 4-0 run, 11, like look great. Ugh, I, I, I don't know. Um, I merely saw the quotes that Kyle Shanahan had about Debo Samuel, where he was essentially like, I love that guy. Yeah. Debo Samuel comes back off injury, catches uh, 11 of his 13 targets for a buck 33. Busts through a bunch of tackles. Yeah. He is just – evaluating receivers is tough, I think, overall. It's like you see guys that just make incredible plays in college. And, eh, is it going to translate at the NFL level and all that stuff? We were talking about with Steve Smith a few weeks ago, but there's like that tenacity that like you just go up and get a certain amount of passes. You're just feisty after the catch. Like Debo kind of had all of that stuff in college. It is amazing how different the 49ers offense looks when he's out there and when they have their playmakers and the guys that when you put them in space, they can make plays. He was just awesome yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I think Kyle Shanahan is clearly still a wizard. Um, he's capable of doing some pretty incredible things he's also that offense isn't just good it's unique um they want different types of weapons than everybody else they don't want 
they're, they're not it's not that they wouldn't take him but they're not looking for Julio Jones right like in the draft their target wasn't CD Lamb their target was Brandon Ayuk for a specific reason right yeah. because he does Debo Samuel-esque things after the catch that's the type of receiver they're looking for it's not that a CD Lamb or Julio Jones can't do that kind of stuff and that they can't make use of them but they're targeting because of the value edge right they value those guys more than other people so they can get them lower down and maximize the kind of impact and the value of drafting them they have a very specific type of weapon that they want on offense because of what it does and it also negates the strength of a lot of other even good defenses like the rams went into that game with the best uh the lowest pass rating allowed as a defense right like 82 um right there with the steelers as the best in the nfl and the 49ers like the one offense in the league where it just doesn't matter like it doesn't matter how well you cover because they're going to throw underneath you and just get yards after the catch so it doesn't matter if you have jalen ramsey and troy hill and darius williams on the back end um because they're not going to test them deep they're going to put it underneath and just see if you can tackle and apparently you couldn't well enough to stop debo and uh, you know get them having success after the catch yeah it's we talked about in the preview like this this matchup is is an awesome one because the way the rams defense has played and shanahan always been able to scheme it up and their style against this Rams defense it, it did work out well Sean McVay um again quotes I, I don't like quotes on Twitter <laughs> and the way like they quotes. get taken out of context but the quote it's misleading just the way they're conveyed sometimes the the quote was the quarterback needs to take better take better care of the ball and then it was like everybody responds to that and then the next tweet from whoever sent it out was like um well we need to do a better job of taking care of the ball so it seemed like sean mcveigh was throwing jared goff under the bus maybe he was a little bit but he also said we you know took responsibility but ultimately you have goff with a 44 passing grade that's not going to cut it now it seemed like they had turned a corner coming out of the bye he had two really bad games week seven and eight by his week nine he comes out against the seahawks and the bucks last couple weeks plays really well this is now his fourth pff grade under 50 i'm sorry he's third in the last five games so the rams they won one of those games against the bears but the rams offense is now just really inconsistent week to week it is that's going to be difficult javon kinlaw with a nice pick six yes making plays any other takeaways from this game it just feels like a really a blown opportunity for the rams who are sitting atop the nfc west it is. And yeah, I mean, my big takeaway is just, I, I just, I don't know what to make of this division. The 49ers are clearly better than their record because they've been so battered with injuries, like 13 guys on IR, I think this weekend. Um, they, they're better than that. But the Rams at seven and four, are they good? <laughs> they've beaten four NFC East teams. We know they're leading that division. Um, they do a really good job stomping Tom Brady and the Bucks, and then games like this. The Seahawks are going to go 11-4 and four in the next few weeks. Are they good? Because they struggle to beat some of the other teams in the division. The Cardinals, we thought, were in the ascendancy. They start dropping games. I don't know what to make of this division yet. Yeah, it, it's, there's just still a lot more to play. I think the Seahawks end up, as we said, this little stretch will we'll pull away. But they're, the Rams are still going to be really difficult right but i don't know that's my point is i don't know that we're i don't know it means anything like the seahawks will probably win the division 
by virtue of the fact that they're about to streak off yeah. into a four-game run. Play the schedule that the Rams have already played. Right, but what does that mean? They, they don't get better. It's, it's an as-expected, right? It's like yeah. the Steelers, when they beat up on the Jags, the Cowboys, and the Bengals. It's like, well, of course you went 3-0 and during that stretch. Like, it, that's an as-expected. You, you don't get credit for that. Uh, Goff and the Rams, they, so they play the Cardinals next week, the Patriots, and then Jets, Seahawks, Cardinals. So two games still against the Cardinals. But that Patriots game in prime time in a couple weeks, when you get to see Goff against Belichick mm. again, that's going to be that's going to be a key one. Yep. Let's get to this Carolina Minnesota game. The this was a fascinating game. The Carolina Panthers scored 14 points without even touching the ball offensively at one little stretch in, in the middle of the seconds. game. In 10 seconds, fumbles, uh, return for touchdowns. But Minnesota makes the comeback in the end. Kirk Cousins showing up in crunch time. Pretty impressive finish for the Vikings. This was a weird game. Like, yeah, they, Jeremy Chin scores back-to-back -back fumble recovery touchdowns, scores twice in 10 seconds, scores twice in consecutive plays. I think they were saying that's the only time in NFL history that's ever happened, like that a guy has scored two fumble recoveries on back-to-back -back plays. They couldn't find anybody that had done it like more than twice in a quarter, let alone like consecutive plays. Yeah. If you – so this game – 14 points based off those, a strip sack and then a, a ripping the ball out from Dalvin Cook. The, Jer the legend of Jeremy Chin. Then you have, um, is it Chad Beebe? Muffs the punt. Yeah. Leg of the death, right? Almost sunk the game completely. Essentially, those three plays aside, the Vikings comfortably won this game. But those three plays meant that they needed like a almost miracle final drive to secure it. Um, I did like that they went to BB for the game-winning touchdowns. Like you, Redemption story. Right. You screwed this up. You buried us in a hole. You're going to be the guy to fix it with the touchdown catch. Um, but, yeah, like outside of that game, the Vikings actually were the better team and probably worth the points. Like they didn't cover the spread, but they actually deserved to if you – I mean, you can't take them away, but if you remove like some fairly freaky plays that all bounce Carolina's way, the Vikings – come away with this comfortably it's like the season of creeping back toward average from a team standpoint the texans are creeping back the vikings the falcons they're all creeping back all these teams that you want to bury early in the season but they all have the one consistent thing is they all have top half of the league quarterbacks between deshaun watts and matt ryan and again kirk cousins playing extremely well and he's doing it with he did it yesterday without adam thielen um you still saw some just jordan jefferson Justin falling jefferson. out uh, Justin Jefferson, sorry. Jordan was the quarterback for LSU? Gosh, that was years ago. The one surprising yeah. thing in this game to me was how well the Panthers were able to bottle up Minnesota's run game on Dalvin Cook, in addition to the fumble. Um, like you, Heading into this game, it's like Minnesota's without Adam Thielen. They don't want to run. They don't want to pass the ball anyway, so this is going to be Dalvin Cook all day. And Carolina don't have the best run defense in the world um but and you're like run defense is a choice right and you're like that actually the scary thing about that from minnesota is it could work like dalvin cook with 42 carries for like 225 yards like it could actually be a successful game plan for them and then justin jefferson with like a buck 50 off the back end just from the play action shots but it didn't they ran dalvin cook whatever it was 18 times something like that um and they held him to 61 rushing yards half of which, more than half of which came after contact, they did a really good job of stuffing that run game and forcing Kirk Cousins to get it done in the, through the air, and he did. 
Uh, on the other side, Teddy Bridgewater comes back. Not an efficient game for him. His one touchdown. He's man. He's had some freebie touchdowns this year. Forty-one yard. Philip Rivers special, the shallow cross for a touchdown. Robbie, Robbie Anderson, Anderson running with a dude wearing 95 on his back, chasing him. <laughs> that doesn't feel like it's going to go well. Robbie Anderson, I, w- I wish I made this point back in week one to uh, fantasy owners. Oh, yeah? I thought that the Pan- from week one, it the Panthers felt like they were really going to use Robbie Anderson. They were moving him around. They weren't just using him as a deep threat. They were scheming him open. They were creating uh, deep shots and plays like this for Robbie Anderson to use his speed. So he ended up with 94 yards on on four catch. I may have made the point back then, but they've done a good job scheming it up with Robbie Anderson. But um, look, I think the better team won here. I still think the Panthers, even at four and eight, are uh, are overachieving Teddy also, this season. Teddy also missed on a deep shot that could have been a huge play. Like they had it, they had it well dialed up, good play design sort of you know deep um guy that across the face of the safety harrison smith i think was basically open and bridgewater just overthrew him like bridgewater you know one of the biggest challenges is getting him to take the deep shot in the first place had it dialed up got him to pull the trigger just overthrows intended receiver i think it was dj moore and they're like that you know that's the game that's the play you need to make if you're going to have the teddy bridgewater revenge game um and didn't the Teddy Bridgewater revenge game. It looked like it was going well overall. It looked like they were going to pull it off, but the Vikings come back for the twenty-eight to twenty-seven victory. Mm-hmm. Three more games on this slate: New York Giants and the Cincinnati Bengals. Daniel Jones with a pretty serious hamstring injury here. Colt McCoy ends up coming in, but the Giants seal the deal with Colt the- McCoy against Brandon Allen. That's what it finished up as. I love watching Colt McCoy play. Could we just just take a moment to appreciate the quarterback play in the NFL this week? I mean, whatever about, you know, is <laughs> the the eulogy we just painted about, you know, even the worst quarterbacks in the NFL are incredible players and deserve some recognition. That being said, this weekend featured Brandon Allen, Colt McCoy, uh, Mike Glennon. Who else was out Glenn there? Glenn balled out. Who, what a, we had some wretched quarterbacks. Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins, Mitchell Trubisky, Taysom Hill. This I, is nothing compared. Listen, it, I think it was 2017. That was, again, Wentz was, oh, MVP Wentz. And he yeah. gets hurt. Like, everybody got hurt in 2017. Deshaun Watson got hurt. Carson Wentz. Mahomes hadn't even started yet. It was, uh, we've seen worse, Sam. We've I'm just saying worse. this was for, we've we've enjoyed this run of, like, impressive quarterback league-wide for a while. And then this week it was like, wow. <laughs> My weekly take, Giants feisty defense, especially when you are facing Brandon Allen. Yeah. And the Bengals. I mean, that'll help. Um, I see some Bengals fans souring on Zach Taylor. It's year two. Yeah. Do you feel like we should see – not this game in particular. It's tough with Ryan Finley or Brandon Allen playing. Should we see? Should we have seen more from the Bengals? Is, is Zach Taylor the guy to going forward with Joe Burrow, who's looked good, some of the offensive playmakers that they have? you got to revamp a lot of stuff on this team. Is Zach Taylor the guy going forward for the Bengals? I don't know. Um, I think that they have there are areas you can point to and say this should be better Um, even factoring in the problems right rookie quarterback terrible offensive line there's a lot of things working against the Bengals this year but there are some situations where they are not being helped out by the plays that are being called by the things in the scheme that are being called Um, you know like spread wide in 
third and long situations with no obvious like outlet, you know, right. stuff like that. The simple things that really shouldn't be a problem, but apparently are. Yeah, this, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that we've seen enough from him and how much he's been relying on Joe Burrow as well. And then for the Giants, they take control of the NFC East. <laughs> they do. And again, I, and they're going to lose their next four, three, and then Dallas in week 17 is going to win the division for them at five and 11. Well, go dig up the next, the, the rest of the schedule for the Giants. I just want to highlight some of the players that, that all graded well for them. Logan Ryan, Jabal Sheard. Jabril Peppers again I've I've been impressed with what the with the Giants have pieced together defensively yeah. this year they have hung tough say what you want about Brandon Allen on the other side but the Giants defense that should the Giants defense should have been on paper playing like the Falcons and the Texans and the teams that have been getting smushed but smushed. they've but they've hung tough in word. there this year yeah their next four um at Seattle against the Cardinals, against the Browns, at the Ravens, and then Week 17 against Dallas. So those next four games are not promising for the Giants. No. And Daniel Jones apparently, <clears throat> not breaking news, but somewhat on the show, people are reporting significant hamstring injury. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't throw. Like when you, whatever about like not being able to run at the point where you can't throw without your hamstring giving you problems, that's not a great sign. It looked like an ankle at first, didn't it? It looked like lower body and then he came back in tried to throw and he grabbed his hamstring and that's got to be something pretty bad doctor is that a tear it's i mean they're all tears strain. A strain is a tear oh so that's it's just a minor tear yeah it's all gradations of tear ah sorry doctor sorry about that how long is daniel jones going to be out yeah a few weeks can we get dr pomeranz on the phone on the phone here for an official I got it covered. Don't worry. It's a few weeks. We should really just phone him in <laughs> every week. I mean, just like right away. I'm sure he's just on call. Oh, for yeah, us yeah. To, he's not doing that. He's not doing much. First place, New York Giants, NFC East, as expected. I honestly think they are going to win that division of five wins. They're going to win week 17 against Dallas. That's going to take the division. They're going to host a playoff game, 5-11. and 11. All right, here's what I want from you. Can we do a midweek YouTube video No. of you? I want you on the board. Yeah, no, no, no. I want... Listen, if you're going to embrace being NC, uh, NFC East scenario guy. If that holds, by the way, and it does go the way I'm suggesting it, the Rams will lead that division until week 17. <laughs> the Rams. Just put the Rams in the playoffs for the NFC East spot. We should, they should think about it. <laughs> they missed the playoffs. <laughs> the Look, if the NFL is willing to put Kendall Hitton out there to play quarterback, this is what we, I'm could, saying. we could bend the rules here in 2020. This is what I'm saying. By the way, check out Cyber 40. That's our sale right now. 40, we're giving 40% off of our subscriptions? Yeah, we are. Wow, you got another week of this. Until December 7th, 40% off. Cyber 40, C-Y-B-E-R-4-0. Cyber 40, 40% off any PFF subscription. So that's PFF Edge, Elite. It's the college package. Mm -hmm. So you get all your college grades. This is probably a good time to go get the college grades. I would say if you're prepping for not only bowl season, but mostly the draft. Yeah. So if you're looking forward... To the draft, go check it out. PFF.com, Cyber40, Cyber40 is the sale. AFC East battle, New York Jets and the Miami Dolphins. Oh, God, I forgot about that game. Yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick comes back, plays his somewhat efficient brand of football. His efficient brand of football is just him and Devontae Parker being on the same page. Well, really well. I thought it was kind of telling. Did you see the little, uh, like, mic'd up clip from the week before that was – Fitzpatrick, you know, giving Tua some words of wisdom. It was like, you know, this. I know 
we couldn't get anything going this week, right? On the other hand, it was probably a good learning experience for you because sometimes you got to understand that you can't go from one to three to, or one to two to three in your progression. You just don't have the time, right? And you're like, okay, that's a good lesson. But then he was like, sometimes it's just one to two to 50, 50 ball. <laughs> just even at somebody. Like, ah, okay. You said that? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I can't remember the, the phrasing he used, but it was basically like, sometimes it's just one, two, jump ball. Was basically his oh, lesson. I love it. Fits put into words the way that he plays. Right. There's that was basically better. his lesson at two. It was like, you got to go, you don't have time to get to number three. So you just got to go one, two, jump ball to Parker. That was basically his lesson. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So Fitz and I work together, former colleague. It's nice that he at least understands what he does, you know? Like, he, he knows. That's how, that's how he plays. I, I can't remember if I told the story on the podcast or not, but when we did. We were both on as analysts for the Chris Collinsworth Super Bowl special, mm -hmm. 2016. Fitz was coming off the year with the Jets where his – I mean, he had some good jump ball guys. Yeah. He had Eric Decker. He had Brandon Marshall especially. And he, he had his best statistical season in a while, but the PFF grade didn't exactly match the stats. So I think we were on the side, and I was kind of trying to explain a little bit of the grading system, and I said something to the effect <laughs> of a 50-50 ball. Yeah, it's mostly on the receiver, so, you know, but the quarterback won't get as much credit. And he turned and gave me an absolute death stare. Yeah. Like, you're just trashing my entire game, dude. Yep. That's my game. Apparent, that's what yeah, I do. That's designed. That's, yes. Sometimes you don't have the time. you got to go one, two, jump ball. Man. Ah, Fitz. He's the man. Anyway, him and Devontae Parker are really on the same page. It's not just jump balls. It's like <laughs> him throwing the ball early. And yeah. But it's like... It's just them working the back shoulder game quite a bit. The curl, you know, the vertical route tree, they do a good job there. On the other side, Sam Darnold with some poor turnover-worthy plays. Yeah. The last one to Xavier Howard, just an absolute disaster. Oh, just the last one, they were terrible. He's bad. I like, thought if I missed anything on Darnold, it was that he would have some outside-of-the-pocket <laughs> magic. And he had, like, earlier in the year, he had that one really spectacular throw. That was one he's of the got a bunch of them. Of the I, I don't think that's... There's not enough. I don't think he... Marcus Mariota. I think you always... just can't rely on that. It's just not no, a big I enough know. part. There was other parts that I liked about Darnold's game, but because if you're not great at everything, then you need that part of your game, right? You need to just be a playmaker. And Darnold, I thought, showed it a lot more in college than he showed in the NFL. But it kind of reminds me of Marcus Mariota where the skills are there, but the feel for it, just it's, it's just not translating. And Darnold, outside the pocket, throws one to Xavier Howard and... Look, the Dolphins' defense, too, they are, they're in this Belichick man-heavy yeah. scheme where the windows are tight. If, if nothing, they're going to get burnt sometimes a couple weeks ago against Arizona, but they just make throws difficult. It's not easy going up against this team. I think they're particularly well-suited to cause Darnold problems in that area. I mean, this was the defense that made him see ghosts, you know? Same, yes. same defense, different venue. But, and it's also... The thing that concerned me about his college outside of structure plays is that they were all like, they were all like the Russell Wilson moon ball on the run. It's like, let's drop it into a bucket for a guy yeah. running downfield as I'm escaping the pocket. And you're like, all right, but that relies on a certain degree of separation and openness that isn't necessarily there in the NFL. And if you put that much air under the ball with that, with it in the air that long, they're going to make plays on it. And that's basically what you're seeing now is he can't, most of the time, he doesn't fire the ball into a tight window. He tries to lob one into a bucket, and that's an issue. 
Um, you had a good one. To, was a Prashad Perryman? I mean, yeah, to, the, most of the time. The point that you made though about like the receiving talent with the Jets, I know they just scored three points, <laughs> but you could see the flashes there. Yes, Prashad I, Perryman going up and making plays, and Denzel Mims mo- just moves well. Like you could see him being a factor, but there's just they yeah. Got a lot of work my to two do. takeaways from this game are one: the Jets' talent in terms of receiving group if they can lock them up i mean perriman's not there long term right if they lock those guys up and i think they should at this stage they have a decent platform for a trevor lawrence to come in and be successful quite quickly um if the scheme helps him out shall we say the second point i think is is worth making that as much as i still think there is mileage in a sam darnold reclamation project i don't think it is an immediate come in somewhere and start like You know, let's say Philip Rivers is one and done this year. I don't think the Colts' plan should be let's bring in Darnold, start him, and see what happens. I think Darnold needs to sit down for a year behind a bridge of some variety. So that, you know, might rule out of Philip Rivers, but it might put you in the Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady situation where, okay, those guys might have another year in 2021. Maybe Darnold can come in, sit behind those guys for a year, and then see what he can do. Um, I, I mean, he's just too broken at this point to, to try and step in right away and be good. I agree. I would take that shot. I mean, I would, as a backup, I would take those. Yeah. I would take that up. Yeah. I would do what you're saying. I agree. Xavier uh, <laughs> Howard with his third straight monster game. He's, you know, we, we always joked that there would be certain weeks where he'd look like Richard Sherman and, you know, be legit. His last few weeks, he has been that and more. Um, again, how much do you benefit from guys throwing you the ball? You got seven interceptions, though, on the season, breaking up passes at an incredible rate, giving up only 40-plus percent of passes into his coverage. And my one other takeaway from the Jets' standpoint, they have an intriguing group of corners. I'm not saying they're good, but they're young. And, you know, if you're the Jets, you're evaluating the future. They have Lamar Jackson, the corner, Hmm. who's all over the place but has good size. Bryce Hall playing significant time the last few weeks. He is really intriguing. Yes. A guy that had a great season at Virginia in 2008. 18 now i believe it was yeah injured in 19 uh was worth it in uh middle rounds to take a shot there author author millette is there i mean they've got some corners that they're just evaluating down the stretch here that are are worth a look marcus may making plays as a safety too he'll be hitting free agency i think he made himself some money even yesterday making plays on the ball all right let's wrap this up who's left here baker jacksonville baker versus the Lennon. <laughs> baker versus the jags Baker was really good outside of the terrible wide-open misses that he had. Mm. <laughs> he's still, yeah. It's like he's more likely. He was putting, he he is more likely to throw a laser beam deep comeback right on the front number where it needs to be than hitting an open slant, hitting some open underneath routes that, he, that were just, you know, that were there for the taking that he missed. Yeah. The miss for the touchdown was atrocious. Um Baker, this was the game. This is like the Bengals game, right? This is my problem with Baker all season long. This is going to wind up being like his best grade, right, of the year, or no, second well, best after Bengals, that. Second yeah. best after that Bengals game. Yep. So basically, the only other good game he's had, good in air quotes, Mark Schlereth air quotes. Um, he that played well. Been. He made some great passes. He was really accurate on some, but this again falls into this category of like what did the defense do to cause him problems and the answer was basically nothing um 
And that's kind of Baker's issue is that they, they did slightly better than the Bengals and that they at least forced him off his first read like more than twice, which the Bengals didn't do. On the other hand, it was like seven times, right? So Baker, if you let him drop back, look at his first receiver, know where he's going, and fire the ball to that guy, can be a very good quarterback. My problems with him is what happens when he's forced off that guy? Can he go through a progression? Can he understand the coverage he's looking at? correctly identify the like basic stuff right the stuff that quarterbacks yeah. need to do against most nfl teams can he do that and i think that is still a very open question we went into the game and it was like if baker can't fire against the jags can he ever do it and the answer is well if he can't no like if he can't do it this week no he'll never do it now that doesn't mean that because he did do it he therefore can do it against everybody else this was a if he couldn't do it against this game it was time to already, like, genuinely you would be talking about, we probably need to move on from Baker. Well, there's value in dominating right. a, but it's, opponents that it's you an uneven, right? It's an uneven um, equation, right? It's like, if he can't achieve good things against this Jags defense, you, you need to start, like, blow it up. Forget about it. He's already done. If he can, it doesn't mean that the reverse is true. It doesn't mean that, like, everything is good. Baker is fixed. It just means that, okay... <laughs> at least we don't have to blow it up now we still it's still an open question mark but you know we can at least move forward now yeah I mean look there, there should have been a couple I mean Harrison Bryant had a touchdown that he easily could have held on to and that's why his grade is a lot better than the numbers yeah. right his so, completion rate was like what 19 of 30 or something but so. again he makes that play and he misses the wide open touchdown there should have been like the stats should have looked a lot better yeah in this one for Baker either because of the receivers or because of him Mike Glennon Ends up grading okay. It was three big time throws in there, deep crosser. He, and just, okay. he, made, he made he made some good throws. I mean, Mike Lennon's a he's a solid backup quarterback who can go out and put Mike this Lennon game is together. like the perfect quarterback to compare to the Denver situation, right? It's like you think Mike Lennon sucks. Mike Lennon is freaking amazing compared to like a guy that you pull off the practice squad. Oh, absolutely. Who hasn't played quarterback since you know years ago in college. Glennon is like a perfect third round pick too, where he showed enough. Yeah. As long as you don't get attached to him, he showed enough as a you know, as a starter back in 2013 or whatever it was. And um, I mean, if yeah, if but you ultimately get, they ended up replacing him, and yeah. you know, he becomes a pretty good backup. If you get Mike Glennon out of a random third round pick, you have exceeded the value of a third round pick, yeah. by a mile. Agreed. Um, but the Jags, they're still in, uh, they're still in the running for Trevor, for Justin Fields, for whoever it might be. From a quarterback standpoint, Browns move to eight and three. When are you ready to buy into the Browns, man? Are you when ready? Baker Mayfield does that against a good team. Okay. Still, still I mean, they're good. to be the, determined. Everything that the Browns did this offseason to make life easier for Baker Mayfield has worked, right? Offensive line is better in three different positions, by the way. They got better at right tackle by paying a lot of money for Jack Conklin. They got better at left tackle by drafting a guy in the first round, and they got better at right guard by stumbling into a miracle season from Wyatt Teller that nobody could have possibly seen coming. So in, you know... No you, one? No. Wyatt Teller's... I said breakout season for Wyatt Teller. You did not. I didn't know he was becoming Marshall Yonda. To coin... Check out the archives. Breakout breakout candidate, Wyatt to Teller. To paraphrase the, the great and wonderful Austin Gale, Wyatt Teller's own mother didn't see that breakout season coming oh keep the moms out of it again austin um, but like you know you talk about you swing a lot of you, you throw a lot of darts at these things right the offensive line and try and improve and generally you don't have a hundred percent strike rate 
they had like 150% strike rate. They hit on both the things they tried to improve and accidentally improved somewhere else as well. I also called, we, we had them ranked as the number six offensive line coming into the season. Anyway, so the offensive line got better. Yeah. The scheme is way better. The uh, It actually has a design and purpose now. It functions. The run game is dominant. Like everything they did to make Baker's life better has worked. And yet he hasn't really... In fact, he's played worse this season than he did a year ago when we were willing to like throw him into the dumpster and say this whole thing is a disaster. So the only time Baker Mayfield has looked good this season is when he's played defenses that are so bad you have to effectively throw out the result. The Jags only – they had a coverage grade of just 32, and the stats were yeah. good, not And yet great my point is the Baker. Browns are 8-3, and three, right? So right. they're a good team with a quarterback that is yet to play at the level we know he is capable of. If he ever does that – against a team that isn't the Bengals or the Jags, they are dangerous. Like, if Baker shows up randomly and has, like, a rookie season Baker Mayfield game against a good team, the Browns are really good. But I haven't seen that yet, so. We're in week 12. We'll see, right. <laughs> we'll see if it ever shows up. Is that it, man? We've got uh, Monday Night Football, Eagles and Seahawks, and as of now, Tuesday Night Football, Steelers, Ravens. We'll see who shows up. Where everybody has COVID. Yeah, we'll see who shows up for the Ravens. Is, like, Lamar going to be – out of quarantine in time for that or they've got like 18 people on the covid list and tests are still coming out. I, don't, I don't know how they're playing that game seems like it's a bit of a mess in that one so two more games to go thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll be back here on thursday regularly scheduled time previewing all of the week 13 action but for now get to pff.com cyber 40 that's your 40 percent off promo code 40 percent off all pff subscriptions over at pff.com thanks for everybody to everybody for tuning in Talk to you guys Thursday.